Order 52. Yes. <laughs> Barbershop quartet coming up yeah. in three. Definitely don't want to hear us do that. <laughs> yeah. We can harmonize. Yeah. I play bass. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Bottom of the Bill. We got some special guests here today. We got Craig Barnett and Todd Smalley of Mofro and a bunch of other projects. There's almost like too long of a list to go down with you guys, but I'm sure we'll get into all of it. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, man. Um, you guys are in town for uh, uh, for the show in Douglas, right? Yeah, yeah. We did this thing in Douglas this past Friday, um, and then uh, we had a show with JJ uh, the following night, and then we just kind of everybody hung around, and then we did this thing last night at the Blue Jay. Awesome. So, yeah. The Super Bowl party in yeah, we Douglas, had, Georgia. Yeah. That was fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, where'd you guys play in Douglas? It's a venue called the Martin Center. Um, it's just, uh, it's like a theater that's been there for, I don't know how long, a long time. But yeah. some friends of friends uh, bought the building a couple of years ago, and they've just turned it in. They got it up and running. It's like a really nice music hall. So awesome. It's like 600 seat, I think, something like that. What was that Blue Jay last night? You were just like a jam or something? So we started doing... The band that I have here in Jacksonville with Eric Brigman, who's JJ's keyboard player, and Pete Winders, who's his lead guitar player, and then our other buddy, Ferris Nix, um, who's a bass player here in town. We started this band called Three, like, a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. like yeah. 2001, something like that. We yeah. started, and we were just like a bar band, like doing covers and stuff. So over the years, that's kind of morphed into various things. We don't really play out at bars too much anymore. We're all busy doing other stuff, but we started doing this. We, we wanted to go play somewhere and do something where we could play the music that we wanted to play and not be worried about, you know, the typical cover band kind of potholes you run into where you have to play dance stuff and you can't take solos too long. And there's like a football game on the TV. And so um, <laughs> we talked to Kara who owns the blue Jay and, um, She's been super awesome. And so we started doing this every other Monday sort of residency thing called uh, Three and Friends. Um, and so it's we, – we took a break. We had it going. We were doing it for about a year and then obviously took a, a big hiatus with the pandemic and everything. And then we started doing it again um, last summer. And we took another break this past fall. And so now we're, we're trying to re kind of rebrand it and we're just going to do one a month. Um, and the, the idea now is to kind of try and bring in a guest artist to kind of like feature that person and, or a theme being like, you know, we're going to focus this week on, or this show, we're going to focus on the music of this artist or something. Um, and kind of like do some deep dives into some different stuff. And so with this worked out with Todd being in town, we're like, why don't we do the first one to kind of relaunch this thing and have Todd come out and be like our special guest. So hell yeah. Blast. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I would imagine that definitely helps, at least hopefully helps bring more people in the door when you guys do do it. And then it allows you to focus more on doing something that's not so kind of running through the motions every week. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Exactly. It's yeah. important to keep those fresh, especially when you're doing like the residency gigs, because that shit gets, tiring yeah. yes. every yeah. single week people stop showing up yeah. running to the same tune so exactly do you have like yeah. any th any themes in the works or anything like that um so we just i just locked in the next two dates last night with kara so we don't have the next um actually i think we locked in the next three 
um, for March, April, and May. And I don't think we've set up. I haven't quite locked in who's going to be next. Um, I'm hoping to do that this week. Just like kind of dial in. I just got to get with, we've got like a, a very short list of people we've kind of floated the idea to and, and, you know, a couple people are definitely interested in doing it. So we'll just kind of see what happens. All right. Awesome. So on top of all the projects you have going on right now, you teach as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and do you teach at like at a school or you just put all private stuff? Just private. Yeah. Just on my own. And, um, I don't have a ton of students right now. I mean, honestly, it's just, I kind of, take people on as they kind of seek me out. I don't actively like promote myself really. I used to, but it's just now I'm just, it's just kind of hard. Like just we're, I'm in and out of town and doing stuff. So um, Eric, our buddy who plays keys, like he's, I don't know how he does it. He still care, keeps like a full, like crazy, like 20 something students. I don't know how he does it. He's like the busiest wow. guy I know. I've seen him online where he's constantly just taking on students. Like on Facebook, he's pretty active. And I see him like, working with, with uh, new students, I'm just like, how do you keep a touring schedule and then like play in several bands and then on top of that have a, uh, a teaching schedule? That's insane. He does you know? it. He makes it work. And when we go on the road, he sometimes will do, he'll just, he'll do virtual lessons from the road sometimes. You oh know? my God, that's insane to me. So, like, it's like whenever I'm on the road, like the last thing I want to do is do anything outside of what the road entails. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like I don't want to yeah, do... It's, uh, it's wild, man. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard it's, work. He's, but he, man, he knocks it out. He's, yes. that guy's like never stops moving. He's just always doing something. Yeah. It's a side hustle. Yes, yeah, a side hustle. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what are you, uh, kind of diving into your backgrounds a little bit, where you guys both come from? You guys both from Jacksonville originally or? Um, yeah, I'll guess I'll go first. Look. Testing. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I was born in St. Louis, grew up in uh, Granite City, Illinois. My uh, parents uh, moved us to Ohio for one year, Cincinnati, uh, with my dad's job. Then we moved to Atlanta. I was about uh, 14 years old and uh, 84 then. And, uh, yeah, that was how we landed there. My dad was in the uh, book publishing business and all that took the job there and get out of granite city illinois you know steel town yeah you know beautiful spot but yeah it was a tough uh you know town back then and uh yeah and that was how i uh you know landed uh in atlanta and um had a lot of great uh started playing bass and you know a lot of great uh local music teachers things like that so it was a good spot what was uh when did you like discover music as something that you wanted to pursue was it in atlanta or were you doing it beforehand uh my dad and my brother both played uh guitar and uh even in uh illinois my dad would have friends over and jam and it'd be a nice you know sunburst p bass and that's probably why i prefer those right but yeah it it was cool yeah they'd in the living room and jam uh he had a, another friend of his vicky simpson who you know had a you know great beautiful voice and they used to do a lot of like you know wedding processions and things like that It'd be my dad with a 12 string and uh so yeah he just kind of taught us you know basic stuff we were like uh you know simon and garfunkel james sailor really was oh, like awesome. he was really into like you know that folky side of music and uh 
he loved music. So it was uh, something where um, vinyl we were playing all the time and then the jams in the house and Granite City was funny. Um, like the Partridge family, of course, this is the seventies, you know, late seventies when I'm a kid, things like that were real popular. There was a family that lived down the street from us in Illinois, the Petrinic family. And they had like this Partridge family band and everybody yes. in the family played. So it's hilarious. So I would scoot down to Tommy's house and they had every damn harmony guitar and instrument and you know, <laughs> we'd start banging around. I was like, yeah, so that's really how it kind of happened. You know, the local kids in the neighborhood, my dad played. And when he heard I wanted to play, he was like, oh, he got me a bass and an amp and a teacher. And that's we awesome. Right man. at it. And a Mel Bay number one book. Mel Bay. Pink. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's interesting. Like, how, how, how do you think that your, your dad's support and what you want to do played a role in your overall career do you think that that definitely allowed you to maintain that the path i think so we we have a weird coincidence uh you know he traveled a lot <laughs> right. i travel a lot but yeah we were both very much into music like we would go to uh you know concerts together all that stuff god my dad would take me to you know rush iron maiden Crosby Stills, yeah, we went to all kinds of, you know, shows and that together. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a huge influence. It really was just to be surrounded in your living room, no matter how little it is, you know. Right. Even though my dad was never a professional musician, my brother and I were just completely, you know, uh, enamored by music. We went nuts. We were, like, trying to learn every song we could. And it was always fun on the holidays, you know, we'd be sitting around jamming and playing that's know? super so, cool man yeah, yeah it was a huge influence definitely yeah it's like it's cool because like when you have somebody that that kind of understands it this is this this is a tough grind you know the music thing and yeah. there's a lot of pay and dues at first so it's it helps when you have somebody that's like not telling you to hey, maybe you should get a real job, get or, a job. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. my dad's a musician too and we and like they kind of we grew up in south florida and everything and so when he was coming up it was like Johnny Depp was coming out of that scene too. Name before. drop, nice. Well, I'm just saying before he became, <laughs> before he became Johnny Depp, there was this whole like scene. Let's wait how long until you're gonna say Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was this there was this whole scene that was kind of around at that time, and they were you know the the romantics were coming out of there. You know that's what I like about you and all that stuff, and it's a whole thing. So I grew up with a lot of those guys when I was a kid, you know, and it was just like. I think that's played such a big role in why I've been able to maintain the career because yeah. regardless of whatever I'm going through, my dad's just like, my dad never tells me like, Hey, maybe you should pack this thing up. You know, he's, <laughs> Must just, be nice. he, he's a, <laughs> yeah. it was a good run. son. yeah, yeah I hear you. You know, yeah. it makes all the difference. He wasn't in any hair metal stuff in the eighties or no, he was really? like more of the new wave thing. Oh, like flock of seagulls. Were not, not that heavy. Like more like Duran Duran kind of stuff. There you, you go. Know? That's good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, they were minimal seven products. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw, I've seen some like old music videos and then back in the day, I'm like, what were you guys doing? <laughs> yes, that is <laughs> not <totally>. cool. Yeah. <laughs> like more tears for fears. Kind of. Yeah. Tears for fears. Is amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's the eighties just had a cheesy look overall. You know, sure, whatever, whatever. we can talk about that. Whatever. Whatever. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's wild. Um, what about you, Craig? 
Um, so I'm South Florida kid also. Oh, whereabouts? Uh, Pompano Beach. Oh, I'm from Pines. So, yeah. So I grew up down there. Um, and I got, neither of my parents were really musical at all. Um, I kind of, I guess I sort of like, you know, my parents used to tell me like when I was like three and four years old, I'd, you know, play pots and pans, drums and stuff like that. And they've got some recordings of me like playing pots and pans somewhere and like singing mm-hmm. while I was doing it when I was like four or something. Um, but I went through a period where I was not into music at all. And then I thought I wanted I think when I was like maybe like nine or something, I wanted to play guitar. So they got me an acoustic guitar and I was like, sweet. Never touched it again. Like, you know, <laughs> just like it was no, just there was no connection for me. And so then there was nothing for a couple of years. And then when I was in middle school, my mom basically was like, you're going into band, which I didn't want to do. Um, but she's like, you got to do band for one year. I want you to try music. Um, and so the first day in beginning band, I think I was in sixth grade. Um, we had to write down our first and second choice of instruments. My first choice was drums. And uh, that's what I got. And it was just immediate. Just never looked back since then. Really? Um, and so, yeah, so stayed down there. I came up here to go to UNF um, and graduated from UNF and then moved back to, well, not back, but moved to Orlando for a year. Um, and then it was like, as soon as I moved to Orlando, I started immediately dating a girl here in Jacksonville and then got a gig with a cover band here in Jacksonville. So I was commuting back and forth. And I just, after a year, I was trying, I went to Orlando cause I had family there and I thought I might be going to get invested in the theme park musician scene. And I quickly realized that like, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so I came back up here and I've been here ever since. Did you get involved in any, in any capacity there? I mean, yeah, I did. I was doing, um, when I was still at college at UNF, they do every Christmas, um, you know, cause you know, Disney has all the crazy Christmas stuff going on. Um, they hire college musicians from like the area universities from the music, different music programs to okay. kind of staff those bands during the holidays. So I did that like my third year of college and loved it. It was so much fun. And, you know, I mean, the money wasn't spectacular, but it was money, you know, it was fun. And, um, I was going to go back and do it again the following year, but I was so tied up with like doing, working on my senior recital and stuff like that. I just, I couldn't fit in the time to do it, but because of the connections I made through that, when I did move down there, I was able to get in doing some stuff. It was mostly just sub work here and there, um, at both Disney and, um, Universal Studios doing stuff. And again, it was fun, but it was just, it was mostly playing like, you know, marching snare with a cymbal or something. Just kind of, I wanted to play like drum set, you know? Right. Um, and it just, I could just kind of see like, it just wasn't the direction I wanted to go. You know, how much room was there for creativity in what you were doing there with that stuff? I mean, none. I mean, you're just playing the what's there, you know, it's like, I mean, there was a little bit, I mean, there was like one band we did at universal and it was like, it was kind of like a, percussion sort of weird we were dressed up like tourists basically with like the hawaiian shirts and like the crazies and we'd run around and it was like we were playing i don't even remember what instruments we had but like they give universal was a little more laid back than disney um just in regards of everything um because back then at the time disney was really strict too about like you know men couldn't have beards and it was like you know, your hair had to be collar length and they were like real strict and universal was just kind of like eh, whatever yeah but they they did give us like they kind of helped like let us they were like you know this is the idea like you guys 
kind of come up with stuff. So we did, we did have some creative input in that regard, but like a lot of that stuff, especially if you're coming in as a sub, it's like, there's a show, this is the show. You just play the, the parts. Yeah, so. totally. How many, uh, did you meet a lot of people that were just going to be stuck in that grind forever? Yeah. And that was the thing too, is there's just some absolutely incredible, incredible musicians down there um, that do that stuff. And some of them you can just kind of tell they've been doing it for years and years. And like, that's, you know, that's their thing. And, um, and like, I don't want to paint like everybody who does that with like a, a broad brush and say like, Oh, you know, or make it sound like it's a, a bad thing. It just wasn't my thing. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but you could, there's, you know, there's some musicians I can tell were just kind of like super jaded and like, you know, burn out on it. And I was like, you know, this is, this wasn't what I wanted to do. It happens so. in, in like any kind of thing. I feel like you get, especially in situations like that, corporate stuff. And then, you know, you can bring that to the bar world as well. People just kind of get caught up in that grind. Yeah. It's really easy, quick money. Yeah. And it's, you know, sometimes when you're trying to expand beyond that, you want to tour and be part of like a creative project. There's a lot of groundwork that needs to get laid before you can start to make money and do the thing. And it's not very appealing when you're just trying to get pay bills and get yourself through, especially yeah. if you have families and stuff. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I always, I always say that when I'm talking to people about what I do is like, you know, it's like, look, you do anything long enough and it's going to become like a job in the sense of like, there's going to be times where you're just like, Oh, this sucks. Like, you know, but overall, like I love what I do. And it's like, there's definitely times where I'm like beating my head against the wall, but I'd much rather deal with those times few and far between they happen than be stuck doing something that I absolutely am just miserable. Absolutely. Clocking in and out, you know, just to make a paycheck somewhere. hundred percent, man. Instead of uh, having our band be called Side Hustle, I think maybe Groundwork would be a good band name. Groundwork? That will be the, the side project. <laughs> like, we're just playing Groundwork for 10 years, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to make it. Gonna, but if it doesn't, we got all this yeah. groundwork. You know keep going I mean? back to your parents. Like, band's going to make it. Yeah, it's so. going to make it. It's going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. It's yeah, time to wrap this up. Yeah. A lot of groundwork. <laughs> I've been digging a basement for four years. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm curious, Sorry. speaking of that kind of stuff, what were your early creative projects yeah. like, the first bands that you formed and that, that kind of stuff? I had – it's like in high school, we had like – you know, I was in like every band I could be in when I got to high school, like concert band, jazz band. I went to a small – private high school so we didn't have a big marching band we just had like a pet band basically um but i had we had a small drum line so i did that too but then like there you know like we we put together like a, a like rock band kind of thing and we would just do like you know we did some rush and like some skid row and stuff that was popular at the time and we'd play for assemblies and things like that but it wasn't really writing original music i didn't really have a part in doing anything like that until probably really after college. Um, and there was a couple bands I was in, like this, when we started three, we did like one album where we, of like original stuff. Um, and then we got sucked into the cover thing real quickly. And then that would just put that kind of squashed all of that. Yeah. Um, Cause we were just so busy playing bars. We just never circled back or made the time to really focus on doing more right. originals. But I played in like an original band with some friends from college um, that was based out of Orlando. Um, that was kind of like, it was kind of like Muse before Muse was a thing. I was the closest thing I could compare it to like that kind of like not hardcore prog rock, but just like 
it had some progressive elements to it and um almost kind of like math rock kind of a little bit yeah. with you know with like vocals and stuff and and um that was like we that was the thing we thought it was going to be you know we were going to tour and it was going to be a big thing and then it, as so many projects do it just imploded upon itself right it's like it's like six, six of us in the band i think and it was like all of a sudden like this guy was like fell in love and didn't want to be the band anymore and then it was like just the whole it just all fell apart so it's a uh, interesting um something that i've realized i think about being in in uh, a city that has a lot of talent but not necessarily um a lot of infrastructure or like music industry things going on um that if people don't know that like how the opportunities uh can present themselves then they won't seek those opportunities out mm -hmm. so it's like you go to like la or like you know new york chicago nashville so you see a lot of, i mean not to say that there's not guys that get stuck in the in the, in the you know the circle or whatever but there's people that are kind of that kind of have a better understanding for what that grind looks like and they're willing to take those risks because they see the opportunity around them everywhere you know in a place like this it's kind of hard for people i think to see that opportunity of to go for like the next level thing mm -hmm. because it's just what you see is just like bar bands making money you know so yeah jacksonville the music scene here is definitely a little weird like that it's and, and, and you know again the time i was playing with that band in orlando this was like the early 2000s um and you know there was like not very many opportunities up here outside of maybe like jackrabbits and i don't even know where else for like a fledgling band to play you know right. um so we were playing almost entirely down in orlando yeah. there's lots of different places you could do that you know smaller clubs here we had like Jackrabbits and then you had to make the jump to like Freebird. And then from there it was like Florida theater. You, know, you didn't right. really have a whole, it was like, no, you know, so that's why I think so many bands here would do the cover thing and then they would like slip their original music in. But you know, that'll, that'll only get you so far, you know? Totally. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. When you do that, yeah. you're like, go back to playing Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> The people hate it, and then like it doesn't actually do anything for you because no one remembers it exactly. And like nobody's like, you know, when you're do when you're trying to build your your brand, your band, like you need those hard ticket sales to mm -hmm. prove like what you're yeah. capable of doing. Yeah. And that's how promoters and agents and managers want to work with you. And then if you're just playing bars, it's like, well, people clap when they hear my song. It's like that doesn't give me yeah. any numbers, guy. <laughs> you yeah. like give me some yeah, fucking hard numbers hard. here. Yeah, you know? it's hard. Um, what about you, Todd? What were some like your early creative projects? Um, you know, we, I probably did the same thing. We have a lot of the same story, and some aside from Universal and Disney. But you know, you kind of cut your teeth uh, meeting other musicians, obviously in high school and stuff like that. And you're getting together to you know learn rush tunes and yes and <laughs> living color and all this stuff so it was fun i i was lucky to grow up you know my best friend you know was a percussionist and drummer from you know he ended up going to north texas and all that and it was like uh we really studied hard together we really got into it you know and um you know you start doing again the songs that you want to play and uh playing the high school talent band shows and stuff like that we did have an interesting thing that was real neat in uh marietta georgia where we lived at of course and uh they had a teen club 
that was like 17 and under, 13 to 17. And they would have a live band every other weekend. And we knew the other live band. His parents owned the club. And it was called like Team Beat, literally. And I was on like <laughs> Canton so Road in Marietta. And so every other week, you know, we'd go up there and, you know, butcher the shit out of running with the devil <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, it was great. So we got a lot of practice time in there. And uh, that led me to playing in like uh, – you know, fraternity cover bands and, you know, late teenage and 20s. And I think they, you know, snuck me into Sharkies when I was 19, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, we'd go, you know, I'd get some gigs with the older musicians. But yeah, a lot of a lot of cover band gigs to pay the bills and things like that. But um, it was great uh, meeting those guys uh, through them. They obviously know so many great musicians that now – in your off time, you're hanging out and you're learning Wayne Shorter tunes and Papatini songs and you're advancing this stuff that you're obviously not going to do at the college frat party. Right. So, so it's cool. Yeah, hanging with those guys. Yeah, we'd get together in our off time, start jamming. And uh, yeah, and then just ended up at uh, Atlanta Institute of Music. And when uh, MIT was getting started, in Hollywood, they opened one in Atlanta and one in Nashville. And I went there for a year and studied with uh, Russ Rogers, really great uh, bass player. And Jimmy Herring happened to be one of the teachers there. And that was exactly how I got involved with Derek. And not because of Jimmy, really, because of uh, Colonel and Jeff Sipe mainly. Jeff, he kind of asked Jeff and Bruce and Tinsley Ellis to help him put people together so after amazing. yeah it was incredible <laughs> running Jesus. yeah and they would come into the star bar and watch our you know band butcher jimmy smith we like to butcher these songs first you know <laughs> before we get them down it's called customization there you, go. <laughs> there you go learning process yeah so yeah they they'd come in and hang out and check us out and yeah we were like you know 22 or something like that then and yeah it was great it was an incredible scene like little five points in atlanta then and uh and this 90s is, and that you know this is with derek you were playing in the band or not just i there? had met derek through them through those experiences at that time uh, at that point uh i met uh two guitar players that were real influential uh randy chapman and cooper tisdale and randy was just like you know, it is just a great, you know, gut bucket blues guy. We would do little Walter and John Lee Hooker and, you know, Jimmy Smith and tunes like that. And with Cooper, we do more, you know, weather report and Pat Matheny and some, That's you know, more heavier awesome. tunes. So yeah, it was nice to, you know, have that balance. It was like, I had one foot in blues, one foot in kind of jazz fusiony stuff, you know? So totally. really fortunate at that time to grow up around, you know, those guys and to watch, Colonel Bruce Hampton and ARU go at it for years. And Modesky Martin would, would uh, do a residency then. We'd go over to these coffee houses and see him play. Oh, and, my God. And run home and practice. Yeah, <laughs> yes. you know, I was like, yeah, it was great. So, uh, yeah, it was. It was a hell of a time to be around there in Atlanta. Uh, no regrets there. But, yeah, and then at that point I met Derek. And, yeah, my life's been a mess ever since. <laughs> Derek. Uh, so I uh, – <laughs> Just kidding. He knows I'm kidding. Um, so I definitely want to dig into that. Before we dig into that, I want to go to our bottom of the billboard segment, though. So um, for those who don't know, it 
basically we uh, we suggest a song to be reviewed every week. Uh, this week is Billy's or my turn. Yeah, it's your turn to to uh, suggest a song, and Billy's going to review it to see if it makes it on our bottom of the Billboard uh, playlist on Spotify. So um, the song is Jackie Ona- Jackie Onassis by uh, Sammy Ray and the Friends, and it's a uh, for me, you, you guys all checked it out. Yeah. Okay. So I f- discovered this band, um, a few weeks ago. They were, I had like a Wolfpack radio station on, on one of my bar gigs when I was on break and I was talking to somebody and this song came on. I don't think it was this particular song, but one of their songs came on and I had to stop the conversation and run over to my phone to see who this was. And I've just been nonstop listening to this band ever since. And so I was curious as to what Billy would think of it because him and I don't really agree on anything musically. Somehow we play in a band together, but <laughs> yeah, we can't. True. But like we Hobbs don't. Track. Yeah, <laughs> but we don't like anything that the other one listens to. So <laughs> I I felt like this would have been a good middle ground for us. I I think her voice is amazing. It's kind of like a mix of Joni Mitchell and uh, Napalm from High as Coyote, okay. um, and then the arrangements are very. Uh, you know, kind of like soul R&B stuff, but then there's like these little hints of neo-soul, like these really cool hits in some of their stuff. And the musicianship really shines through in the in like when they choose to make it interesting, but it's so sparing, which yeah. is what I love about it, you know? So that's why I thought about this song. Yeah, I got super heavy Joni Mitchell vibes from it for sure. And I always have a problem with uh, uh, female singers when they start doing like the, the new like indie rock kind of, voice were like yeah and she does that a lot in this and especially like the the like when she's supposed to be in like the la la la's part she's like oh hey oh hey oh hey or something like that mm-hmm. other it's- than that other than that though uh and and i thought it was amazing it's it's two saxophones doing the harmonies is, is that what it is or is it another brass instrument uh that's what it sounds like I didn't the, pick up on that. The, yeah, I, I thought I only heard sax, but yeah. I know. I was I, it was saxophone, but I thought it was two of them. Or maybe they were laying it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I thought that part was cool. I thought that the uh, – I'm learning from you taking a page out of your book. The, the, the changes when they start doing like the triplets and stuff. Yeah. It's pretty dope. good to understand yeah. that as a musician. It's pretty dope. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I, actually, I actually did like this song a lot. Oh, nice. Um, but oh. yeah, the only thing I would change is, is like just – you don't have to sing – uh, <laughs> during just don't sing. No, 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 no. You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to sing if you don't need to. Yeah. And I'm talking about the I don't know how it even goes. Yeah. That part. You know what I'm talking I'm about? I'm with you, and I actually right? did hear that, and I, it stuck out of me. It was a little like weird syllabalization going on. Some kind of. I, I just thought that was really weird. I was like, you could have just cut that out, but whatever. And, but she does it like at, at every single chorus. And then, yeah, the, there's like this vine from forever ago about making fun of like the way that uh, girls sing indie songs now. Where they're like, welcome to my kitchen. I have avocados and bananas. Like that. Okay, yeah. But they kind of just like soften everything. And they're talking in like a baby voice or whatever. And then trying to do like whole Christina Aguilera thing. Like, yeah, I don't that. get that vibe from her at all. But. She didn't do it. An insane amount, yeah. But that—that's why I usually have a problem with uh, uh, new songs uh, with female voice leads and everything like that. Because I'm just like, oh, don't do that. Because you hate women. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You've said that on obvious. the show before. I'm well, no, a lot. Now it's official. <coughs> now it's official that I hate women. Yeah. <laughs> I love women. Come on. What do you guys think of the song? 
I dug it. Yeah, I did. I did too. I I thought, you know, but uh, I think that's something that, that I would actually listen to, you know what I mean? In my off time that I truly dig. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, those folks are incredibly talented and she's from that Wolfpack camp, right? Yeah. And all them. So yeah, I, I've been a fan of those guys. So there's almost a, I I did like it though. Just musically, like you were saying, the triplet drag and and things like that. I, I, I love that sound. It's nice that rhythmically, uh, things are changing, you know, it's turning mm-hmm. into a sound, it's turned into a thing over the last 10 years yeah. and plus, but yeah, I think it's a nice addition and yeah, she's amazing. Great yeah. singer. Is great she from production Tennessee? On that. Brooklyn, yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, I was like her just, accent. I'm like, yeah, what? That's really like- cool. I thought it was, it was cool <laughs> lyrics too. I was, yeah, looking, you know, looking at those as they were going along. Nice song. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I thought I the like lyrics it. were amazing. I like here. I'm going to check out some more of their other stuff. Yes. Now, now I'm going to hear it again in another light. Now, Sorry. You know, as a, you know, <laughs> I do a, ruin a lot of stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. That's why we're on the show. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I just think it's so strange that people put on like fake accents to do your styles of music. Why do you think she put on a fake accent? To sound more like Americana country. Uh, I mean, just because she lives in Brooklyn doesn't mean that she has to have that thick Brooklyn accent. No, and uh, not at all. I think what's so crazy is like you listen to like the Beatles and there's no accent, but you listen to like any country music and it's just like real hard accents. Yeah, I don't really understand like that. Nashville pop stuff. Yeah. I just don't really, I don't really get it. You sing with an accent? That's weird. I don't know. I didn't pick that up with her. I thought she was great. But. Well, that's it. That's all I'm trying to say about about the that whole new. New agey female voice kind of thing. The vocal acrobatics. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. I see. Yeah, yeah. That's it. the The song itself, I love it. It's yeah. on. Makes it. Makes it. Yeah. Nice. Hell yeah. Yeah. I like uh what like so. There's one end of the spectrum where it's like you have really simple standard like soul funky R and B arrangements, and it's just the same stuff recycled for the last fifty years. But then, and then you have like the other end of that where you have like Highest Coyote, which is a band that only musicians are gonna like, you know? Yeah, right. right. These guys found a perfect combination of like that kind of sound. So yeah, it wasn't sure. too complicated. Yeah, yeah that's what I kind of got from it too, is it's very approachable, I think, for like most people. It's not something that they're immediately gonna go like, oh, what's this? Like it just, it's, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like pop, but it's definitely got shades of pop in it enough totally. to make it like, you know, hooky and, and accessible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Singing it already. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, so, it's catchy. Makes it on the playlist. Stoked. Billy yeah. rejected my last two songs. So, <laughs> or my last song. You know, next time you should get like a karaoke machine and you can set up like a play by play, you know. Now, listen during this part. Oh, no. And then sing along. I would stuff. love That'd to. Be great. We just have to figure out the licensing yeah, rights just, on that. Yeah. <laughs> we thought about doing that, and it was like, I don't know if we can get the licensing rights to ever. Like one of our songs one week was like Adele's new song, yeah. uh, uh, Oh My God. And I was like, there's no way we can play that. We just need that. to get yeah. like a, <laughs> an undercover agent yeah, at BMI. Over. Just get just just get groundwork together to do to do yeah. the yeah. version. Groundwork. <laughs> so I love it. I love yeah. it. 
You guys want to be in our new side project groundwork? God, you guys got time or what? Yeah, you know. Really. We'll fly you in once a week for rehearsals, Todd. We'll make it happen. (laughs) Groundwork? No, there's no shows. It's just rehearsals. It's just rehearsals. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds way too familiar. Brilliant. (laughs) It's not even rehearsals. It's just meetings. It's just meetings. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) About rehearsals. About rehearsals. About shows. A lot done. (laughs) We'll just... uh, Every agenda is talking about what we're going to do when we get a record deal. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 meetings about what we're going to talk about the next meeting. Yeah. There's a whole there's a whole bit that Seinfeld has on that. He's like it's really all of show business is just meetings and the shows that they put, that they put on air are just so they can have meetings about the shows. It's not even about the shows. It's so good. It's it's just so funny. Oh, I I have to go back for that. That's yeah. hilarious. Bro, it's like, it's funny. Once you start like getting into like these next layers of the industry, you start to realize how much of it is just like, yeah, we're just having phone conferences and we're having like, <laughs> like it's all of these things to set up the next thing. So when do we get to play our instruments? Never. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, oh, but, um, all right. So I wanted to ask you guys about like some of the, the, the like, more current stuff or things that you've kind of led you to where you're at now. And I have to say that, when I was like 21, I kind of got into the jam band stuff a little late, but when I was like 21, I discovered Derek Trucks band and I must've worn out that live DVD from at the beacon. Like just, awesome. so I could sing, like I can sing every solo on that, on that album. It's like <laughs> oh, a particular, the, uh, uh, down the flood solo, the second solo that Derek takes on that. I was just like, how can a guitar player do that? And like the band as a whole, it was just, you guys were so fucking tight, man. It was unreal how you could like push the tempo of something and then you could bring it right back down in volume and tempo. Like like you would just speed it up by 10, 15 BPMs and then bring it right back to where you started. I was like, (laughs) what is... I don't even know if we meant to do that. I was just like, whoa. Yeah, man. So take yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's me on drums. Uh, yeah, I, that album was really special to make. That was that was uh, Derek's studio was completed, and um, you know all of his family and friends and all these people that we knew helped build it. And we immediately got that damn thing, you know, plugged in and, you know, went right at it, you know, and it was, it was a hell of a time, you know, you're really in a, you know, another creative mode there. We're finally not in the studio in Nashville or LA or Louisiana or something, you know, we're in Derek's backyard and, you know, it was great. Yeah. It was so relaxed. So chilled out. We had all the time in the world to, you know, play with those tracks and that. Yeah, this guy's did an uh, incredible job, really, mixing yeah, and engineering. What, what, what's the dynamic like working in a studio like that versus some of the more uh, commercial ones? Well, uh, you know, and I know Craig would attest to this too. Some of them you find, and you guys know this as well, it's uh, our cool, you know, camps out there. God, we got up to uh, Woodstock, New York for a couple times and recorded up there and uh you know have gone to louisiana those places are set up for you to hang out and live in and i mean hell we hardly leave you know we just stay there for seven to nine days at a time and then of course you have some you know smaller installations but luckily in my recording experiences even with jj you know we're uh 
we're in a studio that we know well. It's someone's house. It's mm -hmm. place we stay at, we hang at. And uh, same with those, uh, you know, spots. Uh, Dockside Studios, uh, we recorded in a lot. Really nice place in southern Louisiana. Um, yeah, I, those spots are the best. You know, you hang out, you're really getting creative. You're going at it from 11 a.m. till 3 at night and, you know, start up again. So those are the best ones. With Derek's place, he had them set up like those. That's exactly why he put it behind his house. And we can go, you know, go fishing and hang hang out, record, not record. You know? Right. It's like, yeah, go have dinner right there. You know, we just never leave. So, yeah, that was definitely his uh, uh, number one requirement with having a studio and especially to have it at your house and not at another property. So it was good. It takes a lot of the pressure off. I know that yeah. we're, we're always thinking about that when we're in the studio. It's like we want to get the best takes that we can, but we're also like watching the clock because we – you know, we're on yes. a budget and everything, so it's, it's that plays into it. Um, what was the uh, writing dynamic like with that band? Uh, you know, uh, of course, uh, a lot of years uh, I was with Derek for 15 years, so we definitely did a couple different things. You know, of course, you, you do a little bit of it on the road, you know, when the inspiration hits you or whatever in the hotel room. But when we would uh, prep for, you know, a major label recording uh we used to get a cabin in the middle of georgia and we would do the same thing we would hang out for like seven days we wouldn't do shit take a bunch of bb guns and beer and whiskey <laughs> and we set up all the gear yeah we'd like go into a rental home and just like you know push all the furniture over in the corner and then you know all the gear would be set up so and in that process yeah everyone would just bringing grooves kind of throw other ideas or someone might have an idea that works with your idea and you know the songs kind of uh really grew from that you know when we went into the studio we had a really solid 75 percent foundation of what was going to go down to tape you know and see how it works so yeah it was a very cool process and then you get into those nice studios and that and it's like yeah, you just take it even further. And like I said, you know the drill. You're going at it for 12 hours and trying to knock out a song or two. And, yeah, it was a real nice creative process with Derek. Um, I love that idea of going out to a cabin in the woods just to, just to write stuff, right? Yeah, just yeah. hang out, God, write, so cool. and chill, listen to music. Yeah, we'd have a blast, man. Great get, time. Do you guys ever, like, hate each other halfway through that <laughs> sure. process? Yeah. yeah. We're like, a rock fuck and roll you, band. That album, yeah. that song sucks, or that part sucks. Ah, ah, That's ah, how we talk to each I'm other sometimes. Yeah. Why is Todd crying in the kitchen? <laughs> 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 no, you know, we, we were pretty you know, tolerant of each other. And, and a lot of our albums, I felt with Derek, and especially in the beginning, were a concept idea. It was like we were recording things that we were listening to that we were uh, really into at the time. And, uh, you know, a lot of those albums have, you know, a lot of cover tunes on them and stuff in the beginning. So. I was curious about the, you guys did a, one of the first things I started listening to once I started really diving in was you guys did like a jazz record kind of, it was like you did like Mr. PC. Did you play on that record too? Yeah. on that first one. Yeah. That yeah. was super cool, man. Really cool interpretations yeah, well, of like, thanks, kind of, I mean, not, I wouldn't say standards, but just like cool, 
you know, interpretations of classic jazz tunes, you know? It, it was wild with Derek, and it really, I have to admit, I don't know if it was all of our ideas. I mean, we were recording the things that we were out playing live, but the producer that we were working with is a big jazz producer from New Orleans, John Snyder, and he was a, you know, huge piece of us, you know, getting album deals getting the right production, getting into the right studio. Uh, Tony Daigle's great engineer in uh, New Orleans and south of there, uh, Dockside Studios in Lafayette, okay. Louisiana. Yeah, beautiful spot. So we did a lot of those albums out there. I think we did the first four there. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, there's, uh, it, like I was saying earlier, it's just nice to be out, you know, in those spots and, uh try something different. And that's kind of what happened. John was like, Hey, you guys are playing Coltrane and that let's record it. You know, like, okay. And here's our album, you know? So cool. yeah, it ended up, yeah. With what a couple Coltrane tunes and another jazz standard. So yeah, it's funny. It's probably Snyder's fault. <laughs> Blame it on him. I fucking loved it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, cause I'd heard all this other stuff and I was like, there's no way these guys played jazz like that too. And yeah. then like listen to that record. And I was like, you guys just do whatever the fuck you want. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, and, and Derek was amazing. I mean, it was, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. It's like, we truly grew up together learning how to play, you know, these styles of music and different artists. Uh, you know, we were both into Wayne Shorter and Coltrane right. and, you know, Jocko and just all these guys for years. So when, uh, when we came together, uh, you know, it was new for him. He was like, oh, crap, I got to learn Mr. PC. And then we were like, Jesus, do you ever? Let's record this. You know, we were <laughs> freaking out. We were like on the slide and everything. And he was just like picking right up on this, you know, and, and starting to dig into, you know, some more advanced, you know, harmony and theory and that. So, yeah, we just kind of went for it, you know. And our drummer, of course, great Jan Rico Scott was, you know, such a big jazz guy. His resume was outrageous. So, yeah, man. you know, it was probably his fault, too. We were recording Coltrane soon. <laughs> sure, songs. had something to do with that, too. You know, yeah, later on. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, at that point. Yeah, he joined the band probably about four years after that. Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. And then, it, and then it stepped up, yeah, to the next level. What an insane lineup of people, man. It was just, yeah, it's awesome. A real it's honor. It is. Yeah, Kofi's a maestro. Yeah. You know. Totally, man. Um, and Craig, what about you? Uh, so you have like an insane amount of credits. <laughs> the list that you said, I was like, holy <laughs> fuck, I'm going to say all this. So yeah, you played with uh, Jackson Brown, uh, John Oates, Donovan Frankenrider. You played with him too, right? Donovan no, not with Donovan, no. no. Um, G-Love, Widespread, North Mississippi All-Stars, Sugar Ray, like how involved were you in these bands or was it so a lot of those artists were like one or two time just kind of like sit-ins or like you know um like with john oates like he <laughs> that's like one of the funniest like things ever but when we were playing with uh when i was with donovan frankenreiter um we were playing in aspen this and, and we're sitting there and like this was right about the time I don't know if you guys ever got into like the Yacht Rock web series at all. Mm -mm. I'll send you a link to it after, like later because you absolutely, you guys have, it's like the most amazing thing you'll ever see. <laughs> so 
<laughs> it it's fantastic. So we were all into this this thing, and so in in this series, which is basically like a fictional, it's like a fictional account of like the stories behind Yacht Rock, and like all the different you know like the Doobie Brothers and Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins, and all these, and and in the series, like Hall and Oates are portrayed as like these bad guy antagonists <laughs> who are always like showing up and causing problems. <laughs> And so we, we, like, we'd been watching this stuff and we were all like geeked out on it. So we, we play the show in Aspen and, and Donovan comes in. He's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, uh, John Oates from Holland Oates uh, is going to come out tonight. And he's like, apparently like, you know, his wife's a fan and like, they're, they're going to come to the show and he might even sit in and we're like, oh, that's random. Like, but okay, cool. And, you know, um, so he showed up, he came out and one thing led to another and he, he would pop in and out of shows when we were in that because he lives out there. And then I forget how long after that it was, he was like, he got with Donovan. He actually joined the band for like a 10-day run of shows or something. Wow. And came out and toured with us and was on the bus with us and everything. And he even made shirts for everybody. And he called it the Holland, H-A-U-L-I-N apostrophe Oats, <laughs> Holland Oats tour. I love that. And so, so we, good. I still got the t-shirt. It was amazing. So like, so like with him, it was like, you know, we were playing with him every night and stuff. Um, but some of those other artists, it was just like, you know, one or two time things where we, where it was like, I got like one time I was down in Australia, um, we were doing, I think it was Byron Bay Blues Festival. We were down there with Donovan and um, like Jackson Brown and... Louis Conte, the percussionist, and like I can't remember who. There's a couple other guys were doing like a throw together thing. Oh, um, Michael Fronte oh, was nice. one of them too. And they just kind of like co-opted me to come up and play drums on a few songs with them. It was just like a throw together um, thing. So we we jammed a few songs. Um, and and you know, like Donovan too would do this like fundraiser every year in California. And so he'd always have various people come out. And so we we back them up. So like that was where like Sugar Ray happened and. Jackson Brown would come out to that almost every time too. Um, Do you guys ever like just get like clam up when you're in those situations where you're playing with people? They're like legends. You know what I mean? That I, I mean, truth be told, unless like most of the time, it just depends on the the, the setting. And ninety percent, like ninety percent of the time, if not more, like those people are like super chill and very laid back, and they're not high pressure and they're not like diva ish at all you know so it's like it's it's easy it just kind of happens you know yeah um the only time in recent memory that i was really nervous i know the one time was when we did the tonight show with donovan because that's like you get you run the song once and then they tape it so it's like if you mess up you don't get a second it's like you mess it up it's going out and everybody's gonna see it so that one i was a little bit like like okay don't screw this up Oh man, um, that's gonna mess. It's like, there's also like millions of people just like watching you no like, live. Yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> so that was that was pretty crazy. And then you know, um, man, I mean, honestly, too, I was I was actually a little nervous like coming back into JJ's band because I was just like, you know, I, I just, you know, Anthony Cole, who was the outgoing drummer. I mean, monster. Those, those are some big shoes to fill. So I was I was a little bit you know nervous about coming in and you know wanting to to do a good job and, and, you know, um, which as it's turned out, I guess I did. 
I mean, I can imagine you crush that gig, man. I've seen you play at Blue Jay with uh, Eric and um, Pete Mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago. And I was blown away by some of the stuff that you were doing. And I was just like, it's just, JJ's got such a great band behind him, like with all you guys. It's like you guys are all capable of doing whatever, but you play that role so well, which to me is always the most impressive thing about musicians when they can when you know what they're capable of doing, but they just show that restraint because they're just playing to the music and playing the gig, you know? Yeah. So I'm sure you crush that gig. Eric and I talk about that a lot. We're just talking about like playing for the gig and not playing for yourself. Um, And it's a tough thing to do sometimes as a musician, you know, especially as like a side man, um, because, you know, it's like you, 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 it's easy to get caught up in the, like, you know, you want to like kind of show off your thing and like do, you know, just having that kind of professionalism to to be able to step yeah. back from that. And, and it's like, if, the, if you just need to be playing just a real straight, simple groove, then that's what you need to do and not try and make it into something else or like yeah. push it one way or the other, you know? Right. Um, show and, off your new cool licks. You just exactly. Got down. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know, we had a funny thing with a drummer buddy of mine. He'd look at me and he's like, I'm Steve Gadd. And I'm like, I'm Lee Sklar, you know, and we'd be playing a groove, you know. He's like, I'm Bernard Purdy. I'm Chuck Rainey. You know? yeah. And we wouldn't leave that, you know. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, though, because, like, as much as we want to kind of show off and because you want to make yourself – I mean, obviously, it's fun to do so and, and try and like push the, the bounds of creativity on the spot. But there's also an aspect of it where you're like, maybe the right person's here that's going to see me want to call me for that gig or something. Yeah. And ultimately, what's going to get you that call is just playing the part, though. Yeah. Most of the time, yeah. anybody that's out there that's worth a damn is going to see you stepping out and taking liberties where you shouldn't. And so I'm not going to call that guy for a gig. Yeah. But in yeah. like every yeah, movie. Really. That's not the case. It's yeah. like it's you get your spotlight because you're just doing the craziest thing that you can do at the time. Right. Yeah. And that's why there's so many broke musicians out there is they watch too many Hollywood movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it the movies, not kids. Easy. Yeah. Nope, not even <laughs> that's for sure. And that's why we played the uh, Blue Jay last night. You know, that's it's right. like, yeah. Yeah. I think I took like six bass solos. Eric's looked at me and said, Take another bass solo. I was like, I'm just gonna play the same crap I played <laughs> yeah. on the last one. I gave you all my lectures. Sure about bro? this. <laughs> um what uh i'm curious as to what the band dynamic is like with jj are you guys is a writing process collaborative uh is he when i've I've seen when like the shows where he's very much on like on stage he's very much in control of what's happening up there it's definitely eyes on him is that kind of the dynamic off stage too he i mean not in a like negative aspect but he's very like he like is in like he has control of the entire thing like he's very and, and again i'm saying this like it's not like in it's a bad his, way it's, it's his baby it's his baby you know, so he's like he's I very and, it, and yeah. honestly for me like i love it because totally, there's no yeah. there's no guesswork like he knows exactly how he wants stuff and so same thing like with the writing process he pretty much yeah. he pretty much brings to the table just about all the parts yeah and then he's like now you guys take them and make them better yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, so um, and, and same thing with like the live shows, you know, um, he's knows exactly how he wants things like, you know, yes. um, stage layouts and lights. He's got, you know, he's he's very he's involved at like every aspect of of the shows and everything, which, again, I think is fantastic because Absolutely. it's just, it just there's it, nothing better than working for someone who knows what they want. 
knows how to explain it to you yeah. and sit down and play it for you. Yeah. You know, right. You he know, plays like, all these different instruments. Yeah, yeah. Straight. Yeah. So he knows what he wants and lays it out. Well, you're not kidding. I, That's, I enjoy it too. Isn't it, it's such an interesting concept. Something that I've learned as I've gotten older is that, you know, when you're first kind of starting off with bands like you have this thing where, especially if you're the one kind of putting it together where you don't want to come off like too strong or off putting, like kind of everyone gets to say in this and that. But the more like the older I've gotten, the more I've done the side guy thing and the more I've done the band leader thing, mm -hmm. I realize, well, if I'm in the side guy position, I don't really want to have that much of a voice. Maybe creatively I like to have like some, some leeway here and there. But when it comes to literally anything else, I don't want to feel like you're relying on me to make the thing happen. Like I'm in yeah. this band because I want you to make the thing happen. Yeah. yeah. You know? So uh, it's cool when somebody has kind of mastered that skill. Someone like JJ, who's just like, yeah, I mean, it's my, it's like, I know what I want and you guys don't have to worry about anything. Just yeah. show up and yeah. do the gig, you know, it's got to be a good feeling. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely great. And, and the band dynamic and like, we're all like, you know, a lot of bands go through personnel changes over time. And, you know, JJ with, and Mofro is no exception to that. Um, but it's like now I feel like the lineup we have, there's just, there's no drama. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like we're all hangovers. Yeah. There's hangovers. The there's definitely hangovers. Um, yeah. I mean, it's great. And like, and it's, and it's fantastic too. Like Pete and Eric and I have been playing together for, you know, the better part of 20 years. And so, like, when this whole thing came back together with JJ, it was funny because, like, so I played with JJ way back when he was kind of just starting Mofro. So, like, right after Blackwater came out oh, wow. um, in 2002, I got the call. And so I played with him for a couple of years there, and I recorded drums on Lock Lusa, which was his second record. Awesome. Um, and then he changed the band up. We went our separate ways. And when everything came full circle in 2015 the greyhounds who'd been in jj's band were had kind of announced they were going to step back and focus on their music so troob and farrell and so eric was on the short list to replace um farrell on keys and i was just kind of like oh well that's cool you know like that's awesome but i remember being kind of like bummed i was like man it's like, I wish I could get back in that See band. you, buddy. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, man, that's going to be weird. Because, like, Eric and I have been, you know, best friends since right. forever long. You know, it's just like, and then, and then AC left, and I just happened to be on a gig with Dennis, the trumpet player. And he was like, he's like, hey, man, you want to play drums for JJ? I'm like, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually ended up getting back on the gig before Eric did because um, the way the timing worked out. Yeah. Um, that's right. So it was just, it was like everything just kind of. I guess yeah. some people would call it kismet. Yeah, it's that's amazing how that works out sometimes, right? Yeah, it's such a yeah. especially when you have like he's pulling guys from all over the place, and you're in Denver, right? And so I'm curious as to how you you guys make it make it work. Obviously, when you're running an operation like that, like you guys probably know what the year looks like, give or take a few gigs here and there, right? Yeah, it, it depends. It yeah, it, it, like we. Things right now are a little different from that because he's just had a management change. And um, like we used to get like an updated like spreadsheet calendar, like every couple of weeks that would have like all the dates that are being like worked and booked and everything. So now we're still kind of like we're in this little bit of a gray area right now. Where there's been a couple of times where I'm like I open Facebook and I'm like, oh, 
I guess I'm playing in oh, no. Tampa in April with JJ, you know, like, oh, no. <laughs> so it's like, but it, you know, everything's fine. But, um, yeah, I mean, typically we don't know, like we've got shows right now I've seen that are booked as far out as like September, I think. Okay. But you know, there's gonna, there's still a lot of stuff that's going to fill in between now and then. Right. So we don't know that far, far out. So what's, what's the, uh, the prep, like before you guys go on the road with everyone living in different places, you guys like fly in and then do like dress rehearsals and do the whole thing before you just kind of <laughs> go for it. We literally, we rehearsed a couple times when the, when this current lineup kind of came together, we did a few rehearsals, but honestly, like we don't rehearse. Yeah. Oh we just gosh. do it on the road at sound check, yeah, you know, just, and we just also kind of figure that's the way to go. You know, it's like, we'll get a game plan. Everyone's in the back of the bus learning you know, what we're going to sound check. And then we get up there at sound check and try to knock it out like we're going to do it at the show. And so we've really kind of taken that route also. Yeah. And I think even for JJ, you know, time is money. And it's like we're up there on the stage with all this production and we've got time to rehearse some stuff. So we do. We get a lot of it yeah. on the road. You and know? we're on our gear, obviously. And then, like, we're on our good ear system. So it's like it's, you know, instead of, like, if we were going to rehearse here, you know, it would be, you know, much, none of the gear that we played. Yeah, it would be totally different yeah, and weird. Yeah, so it's right. it's like it'd be out of context rehearsal. So um, it's nice to just we just knock it out during sound checks. Now, yeah. there's some exceptions to that. Like we're going to be doing some rehearsals coming up for the St. Augustine thing because it's a big he's adding some yeah, special shows. Definitely. And we're going to try and like play some of the new material and some different stuff. So there's like times like that that we'll do some rehearsing. Um but now, I mean, the whole band is here, is local, except for this guy. Oh, so, okay. you know, so that's the other thing. So if he did, it's like he was saying before, it was like they had people in Orlando and Austin and Memphis and all over. So it was a lot of flights and hotels to get everybody together. Right, right. Because now it's, we're all basically here. Except for yeah, exactly there. Colorado kid over here. <laughs> what is it about bass players in jacksonville is we can't find a bass player to Save replace our ours so life, do i have man. to get do i have to like phone somebody in from denver to get a bass that player in this town or what there's a lot the in denver <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. somebody with a lot of miles on their frequent flights <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> get it get it in i don't care well hire any, well, hire anybody at this point <laughs> yeah. no i'm not saying that anybody <laughs> um what do you guys listen to on the road just in your personal time What's your jam lately? Man, I honestly, I go through phases. Yep. And it and admittedly, almost I'm almost ashamed to admit that a lot of times when I'm on the road, I'm not listening to a ton of music. Um but it's and it's usually when I do, it's something random that like somebody it just comes across my radar, like, you know, um, like Dennis, our trumpet player, like he's always constantly like finding crazy stuff and he'll send yeah. me stuff to check out, you know, just different random things. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it just, I, I listen to pretty much, I'll listen to just about anything. The only stuff that I don't actively listen to is like, I'm not really into a whole lot of hip hop. So you probably love the halftime show. I actually <laughs> thought the halftime show was, was from an entertainment perspective. I thought it was pretty good. Amazing I, production. I was, like, yeah. The production was killer and like, you know, and, and again, like I should say like, like that era hip hop, you know, I mean, I really like that stuff. Cause I mean, that was, you know, I, I dug that stuff back then. Yeah, now, like with the stuff that's more current, like 
particularly with all the trap stuff and, you know, talking about like vocal air, air acrobatics and all the like crazy syllabalization things that happen now yeah. where it's like, you know, it's like, it's just gotten away from like actually like rhyming words and it's just more like making two sounds that sound sort of similar. Like yeah. it's just weird. You it's know? mushing them yeah. together. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, so like, I'm not <laughs> in. not to be perfect. <laughs> it's not right. words anymore, really. It's just yeah. the sounds. That's what I'm saying. What does a bird sound like? Just sound like a bird. It's like we were listening on the way here. I played him the song. And you guys might even, It's the, there's an Apple commercial and it's this guy and it's the one where he's like, I look real good today. And it's the kid riding around on the bike. Oh, yeah. Uh, you well, seen that? yeah, yeah. So I, I was like, I heard that commercial. I kept seeing it. I was like, it kept coming up on, on and I was like, I got to look this song up. So just, silly. And like I looked it up and it's literally like two minutes of basically that with like, two verses of it's just he's talking it's yeah. like, and it's yeah. just like just gibberish pretty much it's, it's not gibberish but nothing rhymes at all yeah it's crazy <laughs> it's so crazy it's you don't have to rhyme with your lyrics when you're singing but like isn't that the whole point of rap is rhymes well yeah also, i don't know like I, the, i'm the sorry flow and I'm like wrong. the whole just i think the, the, the it is about the lyrics more than anything else yeah, so yeah. yeah when you when you're when you're up there and you're saying quite literally nothing then right. that yeah. kind of takes away from the whole yeah. thing, at least in my opinion. I'll show you the song that he's talking about after this, and you'll be like, oh, no. Yeah, I'll yeah, do that. It's crazy. <laughs> and, it's, and, of course, it's, it's got that hook. So it's like it, – it's one of those things that, like, it sticks in your, in your brain, and you're just like, Completely. Uh-huh. Completely. And I was kind of like, you know, I don't know. I don't want to go down that road, and I don't want to bash anybody, but let's, – bl- Let's blast them. Let's blast them. Sure. <laughs> no. <that's laughs> <around>. <laughs> Craig's thinking about it. He's like, yeah. Bro, I'll go there. Let's start some wars. Let's know. go. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, back to the original question. Like that, I don't – I'm not particularly into – I and I will say this. I absolutely detest modern pop country music. I think it, we're all – I mean, at least I'm in the same like, boat with that. I absolutely. Like I almost hate that probably more so than I do some of the really like bad R&B and hip-hop hip-hop that's been coming out um just because i just feel like it's gotten so just i don't know man surface it's just it's yeah i mean it's just terrible and it's like you were saying it's like they just so over the top with the the country twanginess which i guess they kind of have to do because that's really the only thing that's almost making it even sort of remotely country right i've given up i just put I either put the chronic on or I put George Jones greatest hits on. You know, it's one or the other. I just don't even bother listening outside of that. I don't even want to know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you double down the other way. On that. These two are fine. Yeah. Yeah, perfect, actually. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm listening to all kinds of different stuff. You know, we'll we'll a lot of times, you know, we'll hang in the, the back lounge of the bus and like somebody will crank up, you know, some oh, jazz God, or, yeah. or we get on some crazy prog rock trip. Or totally. like, you know, it gets ugly yeah. back there. <laughs> People are knocking on the door. Fucking turn it down. Yeah. <laughs> Do not want to hear physical graffiti at 3 30 AM. Yeah. 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 Uh, talk about a record that I highly overestimated when I was younger. And here's what I'll say. Uh, I love the songs on that record. Yeah. But let's be honest, right? You could tell they were all on fucking like copious amounts of heroin oh in those performances. This oh is Jimmy Page and Robert Plant trying to line up on uh, uh, In My Time of Dying. You're just like, do you guys hear each other? Because you're just not. It's Improv not happening. Improv it out. <laughs> yeah. 
You think they did drugs? <laughs> <laughs> For real? I don't know, man. I think drugs did that. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Well, we got Jimmy Page coming on the show next week, so we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Is he still alive? Hardly. <laughs> Him and Keith Richards are just barely hanging on. I don't know. He looks yeah. better than Keith, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, at least you guys have, like, your separate quarters in the bus. We're riding around a GMC van, so we don't have <laughs> yeah, a choice. But it's like blasting. Been, been like, there, done that. <laughs> yeah. No complaints. It's like, uh, just, like, blasting obnoxious podcasts at yeah, 3 o'clock in do. the morning. We can't decide on music. We just listen to comedians <laughs> yeah. half the time. Yeah. Yep. Which is yeah, the best way to stay go. awake on the road, by the way. Yeah. If you're laughing, you're not going to sleep. Uh, there yeah, there you go. Exactly. I'm with you. Um, so I got one more question before I do on popular opinions. Um, I'm curious – do you guys have any advice for uh, upcoming musicians, uh, band leaders, side guys, anything? Boy. I mean, I would just say as far as for upcoming musicians, I feel like I was kind of thinking yesterday about like, you know, like uh, unpopular opinions and I was like trying to come up with one and one of the things I was thinking about was like how I feel like a lot of music schools really don't do enough to prepare the students for yeah. like <laughs> actually what they're going to face. Out. Yeah. It's like, listen, it's awesome that you can play that song in all 12 keys right. backwards and forwards and you've gotten, you've transcribed every Coltrane solo there is, but it would also be helpful to know that when you get out into the real world, you're probably not going to even play any of those songs or maybe if you do, it's going to be, you know, whatever. But it also would be helpful to know how to like, what's some good deductions to do on your taxes as a self-employed musician. Oh, man. And God like, damn it, you're so true. You know, like what, <laughs> like it's just as important to like show up to the gigs on time and like be reliable and do, like you know, it's it's just kind of like they, you know, like when I was at UNF, we took you know, we had like one or two semesters of like commercial music, I think they called it. And it was like, all it did was teach everybody how to play like happy birthday and Hava Nagila and like old Anxime and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, cool. But then how about like knowing how to just navigate the music industry and like how things really work and like what you can expect. And like, you know, this is, I mean, you know, I think, I think all musicians and any artists to some degree kind of accept and know going into it that, you know, there's a good chance that it's going to be a struggle and you're probably not going to make a ton of money. But at the same time, there are lots of us out there who are making a living doing this. We're not getting rich doing it, but I mean, like we all have houses of our families, like, you know, um, it's very doable. It's just, you've got to be i mean it's like the you know anything i always say this is like you know it's like your talent level and your capability and your instrument only needs to be you know like so far anything above and beyond that is completely superfluous and from that point on what's almost more important than your musicianship is like your professionalism how you are as a person can you work well with others like that's the biggest thing too i mean we're 12 people on a bus that's designed to, to carry 12 people <laughs> It must be insane. You, you put one person in there who's a head case and it's like the whole thing can just fall apart real fast. So it's like you got, you know, you, it's so important. Like those things that nobody tells you or talks about, you just are end up, you figure out on your own. You know? It's true. How, how many music school guys, I, I didn't go to school or anything, but I worked with a lot of them That's coming obvious. up. 
Okay. <laughs> Let's not talk about you, bud. Um, so, At least I went and dropped out. Yeah. <laughs> he tried. I say, I say dropped out. I failed out. He failed out. Yeah. The classical program of all programs. Yeah, first semester. Um, What's up? Yeah. What's up? Um, <laughs> but the, the, the biggest obstacle I noticed was that, like, they, they weren't – they couldn't take gigs. It was always like you guys are so busy with school that do, do you know that you're – like you're turning down opportunities that can help get you established once you get out of school. Yeah. But like you're not taking them because you have to go and practice, yeah. which I get the practice aspect, but I mean, yeah. come on. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean I know <laughs> – I, I still practice every day, bud. What do you do? I know everybody's got different – like you know, right now. They, the different aspirations and there's different reasons why people go to get, you know, get music degrees and things like that, but – I just think in general, like they're just, and again, this is coming from a place of like, I have not been in school in many moons. So maybe things have changed and maybe they're a little bit doing more of that now. I don't know. I feels like the more, the people I talk to about it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I think that would be just the biggest thing I would say to any up, up and coming musicians, anyone across the board, but specifically those that are in going to school for music or studying it is stay out of school. Yeah. <laughs> stay out of school. Yeah. Do drugs and stay out of school. That's no. right. So you learn the real lessons in life. Take <laughs> people yeah. skills 101. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's, it's not that hard. Like know how to talk to people and just like be a human and be, you know, definitely check the ego. At yeah, the door. there's a big one. That's check probably the, the biggest. That's yeah. probably the biggest pitfall is the ego. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, there's no room for it anywhere. Yeah, totally. So what about you, Todd? It's true. Oh, you know, I, I, on that side, you're not kidding. You know, the, uh, uh, coping and dealing, living with people, you know, being, um, you know, professional on the road, which, you know, I am most of the time, you know, um, but it, it is, I, I think that, you know, even, I think a lot of guys are, what, what do you say? Guys and gals, right? Or it's them. like, um, 22, sorry, yeah. Well, I, I think on the musical side, it's being prepared, totally, truly being musical. When you don't have a crappy attitude and crappy ego, you're going to be able to lay down this person's music that you're representing, you know, that right. you're working for, that they're paying you for, you know. And, yeah, if you do get entitled about it and start throwing your fancy licks in over this guy's melody and that, yeah, you're not going to be around for very long. <laughs> and that usually goes back to, you know, that kind of ego, the, you know, um, I'll play you and, you know, cut your head off and here we go. And it's like, let's just play Lock Lusa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't have to go nuts. Yeah. And I'd play also have this song, lay the shit down and you'll have a gig tomorrow again, you know? So I really think it is about being sensitive, compatible, and ultimately truly being musical and, you know, respectfully to the person that you're working for, you know, it's like, I'm not up there to show off, you know, and if I want to have a show off gig, we'll go to the Blue, Blue Jay, Jay exactly. and I'll get go. six bass solos. <laughs> like the same thing every time. Yeah. I was just going to add to that, that like you, people talk, you can talk about six degrees of separation. And I feel like in the music business, it's more like one. Literally. Yeah. I mean, literally. it's, so it's like, it doesn't take long if you shit the bed on one gig bad, like it's, you know, you can, you can depth charge your career real fast. Yeah. You know, that's uh, one of my biggest fears, <laughs> for sure. Uh, luckily, uh, being a decent human being goes a lot further than uh, fucking up, I feel like. Well, and know. that's the thing, too. It's like nobody's going to, nobody's gonna like, you know, bust you up for like if you're 
if you're on making an honest effort and if you're a good person, like, you know, if it's just not a good fit for the music, then it's just not a good fit for the music. No harm, no foul. But if you're like, you know, if you're actively trying to sabotage the situation and just being like a, you know, a, a yeah. douchebag for lack of a better description, like then, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that you're, there's just no room for that, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, all right. Unpopular opinions. Yeah. Rapid fire. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what's yours, Bill? Um, have y'all been watching? Do you like Star Wars? Yes. Okay. Uh, did you watch the Boba Fett one? Yeah. We, we're we're we both. We were just talking about this yesterday. Um, we have been watching it. We're not completely caught up. Shit. I think right. we're too. Well, I don't want to ruin it for you. Then never mind. Yeah. yeah no spoilers. Uh, okay. Right. Well, I'll go first. You, if you want to think. Yeah, about I gotta think one. of no something spoilers. else. Okay. No, seriously. Not on this one. I'm a huge <laughs> I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so I'm not gonna ruin that for you. But damn it. Um, I'm not gonna think of something else. All right, we'll do. It. We've been busy. <laughs> yeah, to imagine. Um, all right, so my unpopular opinion is that uh, John Mayer is my favorite member of the Grateful Dead. <laughs> wow. This is a big topic in Colorado, by the way. <laughs> I can imagine, and I'm yeah. pretty sure that a live if anyone there watches, you're gonna just alive, just all of them, just all of them that just, ever happened. I, yep. Oh boy. It's like if uh, if if oh. if Jerry was like the foundation, like John Mayer, obviously couldn't exist in that role without him. But it's just like kind of stepped it's it up a little so bit. Un- <laughs> so unpopular. <laughs> You're going to love this one. You ready for this? Yeah. I have not heard one note of 50 dead yet. Really? Isn't that terrible? Like one time we were walking into the lobby of a gig and it was before the pandemic and they were playing some video and I stood there for a minute and I watched and I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. And then I moved along. I was like, I still haven't seen him. I haven't heard any of it, you know, but I hear John Mayer, of course, catching hell. How would he not? You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> of course, man, of course. I, I understand why people hate on it. Um, I was reluctant at first too. I'm not like a huge dead fan, but I was reluctant. And then I heard, I think Chris showed me uh, like this live performance and I was blown away. I was like, holy fuck, this guy was doing what John Mayer does a year ago. And now in the course of a year, he has studied and learned this genre and is nailing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not easy to do, you know, like Jerry's, Jerry's are such a unique player, was such a Absolutely. unique player. And John Mayer kind of captured it. <laughs> you know? I agree. I, I like him. I mean, it's like, uh, for as a player musician and that it's like yeah for a lot of years uh i've heard him and coincidentally he lived in atlanta for some years yeah he'd play at eddie's attic and him and zach brown would play there oh wow yeah they've been but i know that scene was nuts but yeah i've uh you know heard him play quite a bit i've seen him live a couple times it's great musician oh yeah i mean he gives a damn and you can tell he's a big uh deadhead you know so much bigger deadhead than i am and i I love the dead but i i know what you mean i i definitely grew up on led zeppelin more than the grateful dead exactly yeah i never i never i just have never been able to get into the grateful dead oh this podcast heresy no touch of gray oh oh my god that's like that's that's like the one everyone hates <laughs> yeah, he's like no, I just trucking. What's that? I literally, yeah, no, I'm. I do know more than that, but I mean, yeah. I just, it's just, I, it's just escaped me. And I, like, I was a big Mickey Hart fan because he did the whole thing where he had the, he did a couple CDs. And, yeah, playing the drums. Yeah, stuff. yeah like, I love that stuff. stuff. Yeah. And like those, I used to, um, 
I actually used to put those those CDs on to sleep to because all the like crazy ethnic percussion and it was very like ethereal and stuff. So like I, I you know I mean I know about them and I know some of the music but it's just I've never really it's never like captured me. I feel you. Know? you. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way, which is probably why I'm saying that I like John Mayer <laughs> as a great member of the Grateful Dead because <laughs> yeah. no real deadhead. Well, I'm a big O'Teal fan, so you can there do you. no wrong when, in my book. There you go. It's funny that, you, sure. that totally. you mentioned that because somebody just sent me a meme the other day about Mayer and the Dead, and it was like, I'm paraphrasing, but I think it was like, Grateful Dead with John Mayer is like the equivalent of getting a blowjob by, while wearing a condom. Oh no! Oh, I was God. like, man, so accurate. shots fired. Oh. <laughs> Couldn't uh, disagree more. But yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely it's very signed heated. biggest Grateful Dead fan. In the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. you like zoom in. It's like I don't know. Oh, but at least, good. at it's least great. in that scenario, you're still getting a blowjob. Though I think that <laughs> a real deadhead would just be like, no, you're not even getting a blowjob, bro. It's not even with a condom on. You're not getting it. <laughs> I just think it just looks weird. He's like <laughs> blowjob with a condom. No, John Mayer on oh. stage with all the dead. He just is like at least what forty years younger than everybody on stage. I don't know if he's yeah maybe. I and don't it's know. just like what? Yeah. I don't know. Do you think he's better than uh, when Trey Anastasio was doing it? Yeah, really. Trey is great in Fish. Uh huh. And his band. Okay. All right. I I'm a, I, I like Trey. I mean, Fish is one of the greatest bands I've ever seen live in my life. But let's, I mean, you know, if we can be honest, I feel like Trey shines in, in his band and in Fish. And then I've seen him in other scenarios where it's like, you know, you get comfortable playing the tunes as much as they jam, but you get comfortable playing those tunes and like, you know where that's going to go. Um, so, yeah, I think Trey does what he does really well. But just sometimes when he's sitting in, it's not always the best. Well, at least John Mayer's got uh, a future in politics if he ever stops being a musician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's John, your unpopular opinion? John Mayer for mayor. Yeah. <laughs> mayor for Great mayor. fucking slogan. Anyways, uh, so I had to I had to nix my original one, which is I just don't want to give anything away. And you're in for a we treat. Appreciate that. Okay. We appreciate uh, that. But um, so my next one, I'm just at the top of my head is uh, um, if you, what was it? If you're uh, playing a sport, it's not a sport unless you're actually playing against somebody. So like fighting, 100 percent is a sport. Yeah. But the Olympics. Mm-mm. Like Ooh. nothing. There's not. It's not. None of those are sports. They're playing against other countries. Right? No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. I meant like uh, they're just like skiing down a hill. Who can go ski down the fastest? That's not a sport. Oh well, that's not a sport. That is incorrect. NASCAR, <laughs> on the other hand, 100 percent a sport. There's Why? Like, there's 40 cars on the track. He's from Kentucky. Born and raised. Want to fight about it? Shoot. No, but, uh, I was uh, 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 watching. There's, there's 40. There's 40 cars on a track. They're all going against each other. That's a sport. Golf, not a sport. Golf is a sp- golf, not a sport. Oh my goodness! If they were both playing at the same time, whoever got in there first, that's they're, a sport. They're playing at the same time. They're playing at the same time. You like twelve downhill skiing, right? You know, yeah, twelve at, at the same once. time. Yeah, at the same time. Why don't they do it at the same time? Maybe, that would be that's a sport. Logistically, yeah. it's like kind of a hazard, right? The Olympics in general are bullshit because it's all genetics. Like, well, it's not Winter Olympics. But I'm just saying, like, who can jump the highest? Who can run the fastest? That's all it is. It's stupid. <laughs> that's what every sport. So we need like. No, it's not. It's about playing against. <laughs> Somebody. Yeah, what but he's saying is we need to take the Olympics and make it more like the Squid Games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's like 12 people going down the mountain at once, yes. and whoever doesn't make it, like the first one across, 
survives, and then all the rest of them just like the bottom of the mountain opens up. Yeah, one thousand percent. And like the ratings have gone through the shitter for the Olympics, and I, I'm just trying to boost NBC's ratings. So let's okay. go. Right. NBC right. needs them, yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> some hits while you're skiing or something. You're allowed to bump. Yeah, hundred percent. Full contact alpine skiing. <laughs> bring I like it. I like it. Do the thunder dunk. I was actually kind of <laughs> contemplating as one of my p- possible unpopular opinions is that the Olympics aren't cool anymore. No, That's they don't true. have any like stars anymore. I mean, they had yeah. Usain Bolt the, like like twelve years ago or whatever, but ever since then, or Michael Phelps. Well, the medium is dying too, right? Like live television. Yeah, it's just that the people yeah, aren't cool. watching it anymore. Yeah, maybe so. you don't make it at. Uh, in another country that's 13 hours ahead. <laughs> or just make it, or like turn it into a podcast series. Yeah. And then people will watch it. That's yeah, if, they can, if they can like watch the Olympics on Netflix, then yeah. they'll be like, oh, we're going to binge the 2020. Like, that's sweet. so yeah. true. Yeah. Making it a series on Netflix. Because I remember like when I was like a kid and it was like, you'd have the opening or closing ceremonies. It was like, everybody it was just like, you know, uh, it was yeah. a thing. You know, yeah. You'd all watch it and you'd like all the pomp and circumstance around all of it was just like, wow, this is so cool. But it was also like, that was what was on TV and like the other stations that weren't carrying it, like made sure they didn't, they were like, well, we'll just run infomercials tonight. Cause nobody's going to be watching this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's just like, I feel like there's so much else going on and it's like, you hear about the Olympics and then I don't know. I just feel like the, all the, the air is out of the balloon on those. Well, it's a medium and it, every four years doesn't work anymore because it, it was such people's attention. Exactly. Yeah. We need it all right now. It's like yeah, no. album cycles are the same way, right? Like say it used to be like two years, 18 months. Now it's like, you better be releasing a single every month, motherfucker. Otherwise you're not getting the visibility on Spotify. So <laughs> it's the <laughs> yeah. same shit with the Olympics. You know, it's like, it's four years is just not quick enough anymore. Are there people. any yeah. like, yeah, like totally. team sports in the Olympics? Oh, they're they have, all they team have, sports, they right? Because they they're all playing for a country. Soccer. They all face each other. They're all countries that, that are facing against each other, right? So they're all playing on teams. I like the real world Olympics, like Russia versus Ukraine. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> team USA. Team USA. <laughs> yeah. What's your unpopular opinion, Todd? What you got? I don't have any, man. I'm the happiest guy in the world. <laughs> He's agreeable. Yeah, He's so agreeable totally with everybody. That's an unpopular <laughs> yeah. opinion, right? Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Agreeable. <laughs> I had another slight one, which again, I don't know if this really qualifies, but is that, that I think that social media as a whole has done more to harm the music industry and musicians and bands than it has done to help them. Yeah, yeah that's a, unpopular. That's unpopular. This is a good one. We talked about Spotify and the streaming platforms a few weeks ago, and that my unpopular opinion was I don't think they're a terrible thing, uh, but you know that's a whole True. thing to dive into. But yeah, I. I think social media, if it's used properly, can be a force for good, but ultimately it's probably done more harm than good to music as I just, a whole. Yeah, I just feel like it's become more about the self-promotion and marketing than it is about, like, like let the music speak for itself. Totally. You know? So it's like, yep. and, and I complain about this all the time, too, where it's like, you know, you're trying to get endorsements with companies, and it's like, you know, we're out there playing shows in front of thousands of people, you know, just with JJ, you know, over a hundred to 120 dates a year. And because I don't have an Instagram page with like 10,000 or 20,000 followers, like, no, it's like no free drums for you. Exactly. And it's like, <laughs> I don't even want free stuff. I just want to be able to like, you know, just some companies just, you can't even approach them. And some of them are great, you know, Yeah. but some of them it's like, you can't even get your foot in the door unless, oh, you know, changed and so there's like, you know, there's like kids who are just sitting in their room, just like, 
gospel chops all day and they're amazing and they're incredible, but I'm like, well, okay, what are they actually doing though? Besides that, are they, I don't know. I'm with you, man. I, I think that that's definitely true. Even for us as a band, that's not, that was, that wasn't established before the social media thing, right? It's like, we're at a point now where it's impossible for us to really grow because we need, before we can even play a club in another city and sell tickets, say, well, what does your social media look like? It's like, well, um, I don't know, man, but we have like two albums out and we've done some regional touring. So if you let us come in and promote the thing, right, we can make something happen here. But like, if you're not even giving me the time of day, because I don't have like 10,000 followers on social media, then what are we, what are we supposed to do here? You know, our hands are tied. So then it becomes about the content creation and all that stuff. And then we have to sell our soul to the thing just so we can be a, a working touring band, you know? Yeah, yeah really. And, and there is a weird thing. It's funny you say that about Spotify. Something I thought of also, it's uh, uh, to jokingly say that the royalty rate is just fine, you know? And it is for someone like me because, like, I, I wouldn't get shit otherwise. I, I wouldn't get anything that I'd worked and written with, you know, Derek or anyone, you know, uh, if it weren't for streaming at any point, if it weren't for totally. satellite radio and those things, be gone. You totally. know, back in the day, you were on one of seven radio channels, maybe three or four of them were really popular and all different, you know, sub or a playlist and things like that. So, yeah, without that, you know, shitty Spotify and everything else. I'd get absolutely nothing. You and know? people would. Still I'm be sorry listening. to hear Taylor, Taylor Swift isn't getting as much yeah. as she <laughs> needs to. I love her. I really do. I like her stance, and she gives a damn. You know, but yeah, it is. It it hurts even harder. You know, on the lower levels. You know, it's like yeah, you're you're not getting your rate. You should see mine. Right. Man. Right. Are you really going to send me a 13 cent check? What the fucking point of that? (laughs) Obviously, you need it more than I do. So go ahead and keep it. Your 13 fucking cents, bro. Yeah, no, it's true. And then also, it's like, it's not even like people wouldn't be hearing the music at all because they were just downloading it before. So it's at least now you get to see something off of that. It's out there. Yeah, it is. It's another side of it. I want my jukebox model. It's going to change the face of it. It's not going to happen. Hey, man. Let's just sell 45s for three bucks a piece like it should be. Yeah. Old school. Pay more for a single than you do now, you know. Yeah. We laugh at that. (laughs) That sounds like a a crazy grind to do right now. Imagine putting 45s and just selling them out of a trunk. Just be like, hey, guys, so wants to hear my single say where are you from like 1950 <laughs> <laughs> um anyways i know you guys gotta take off thank you so much for being here yeah, thanks it's so a much. pleasure thanks for having us uh, we're such fans so it's awesome for us to be able to do this um and anything you guys want to plug real quick before this comes out in like two weeks from now so you know we're gonna be at the saint augustine amphitheater with jj yeah weekend of fun uh, in march 11th and 12th, I think, something like that. Something in that range. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, 11th and 12th. So that's going to be fun. They just added Ben Harper to that lineup. So Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Awesome. So that's going to be a, a very fun weekend. And then, yeah. I don't know. Other than that, I would just say support live music. Yeah. And Most definitely. You know, if you're seeing this and you're a parent of an aspiring musician, first of all, I'm sorry. Don't show it to them. <laughs> It's not going to help them. Yeah. <laughs> but second of all, support them because that definitely That's goes. right. That's what we Get him a good, both him a good music yeah. teacher. Yeah. yeah. Put That's Craig's right. email down there at the bottom. 
yeah. guys. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, thanks again for being here. And thanks for everybody for tuning in. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Adios, muchachos.